We are on a mission, a mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Podcast, we dive into current events that are shaping how pharmacists approach their patients and their businesses. Fuel your passion for pharmacy one conversation at a time. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. So, Josh, welcome. Thanks. I'm excited and grateful and happy to be here. We, uh, one of the cool things about these podcasts is we get to see some of the people we used to get to see all the time. I, uh, I probably got to see you once a year, at least. Haven't seen you in a while. Uh, I think Josh was just talking. He came to your pharmacy. What? Yeah, I was looking as almost four years ago now. I think right after I started Pioneer, I went to see Amina, and then I stopped in in North Carolina to see you. And that was still back when I didn't know anything about Pioneer. Tell us a little bit of the, the uh, Josh story. So how did you get to North Carolina? How did you get to pharmacy? Uh, I got to pharmacy um, because I wanted to be in healthcare. I had actually had, um, I had cancer when I was 16. So I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, so I had leukemia when I was 16. So the the teenage years of my life were devoted to survival um, and wow. three and a half years of chemotherapy and radiation. So at a very young age, I got to used to looking and talking about chemistry and biology and what what's that neon drug they're putting in my body? Oh, that's called methotrexate. What does methotrexate do? So I got really... I got really knowledgeable about certain things in pharmaceuticals and healthcare and, and medicine. Um, and my focus coming out of that, because I came out on the right side um, of cancer, was I wanted to really help people. You know, it was like it was really ingrained in me. I got to be in healthcare somehow. And I actually ended up working for a, a pharmacy, a CVS, for, for whatever that's worth, um, when I was like 15. Um, so I was, I was like working in a pharmacy because that's the job I had. And then I learned the stuff in my personal life. And so it kind of just, it was almost my first mentor, right? It was my first person I looked up to as a job was the pharmacist because at the time uh, I was like, oh, I can work back in the pharmacy. I get a 50 cent pay raise. I am super happy. Um, and if our techs out there uh, are complaining about that what they were getting paid it was for 550 an hour <laughs> um so it was that was like kind of the thing where i just wanted to be in healthcare. um so i went through pharmacy school i went to uconn university of connecticut so i grew up uh in the northeast uh so i was just migrated to connecticut then moved out for a year or two then migrated back to the same town of simsbury connecticut um, and then I moved down to, uh, Charlotte in 2020 or sorry, 2000. So 20 years ago, um, to get out of Connecticut basically. Um, and so, you know, there wasn't much to do when you were, you graduate pharmacy school and you got a little bit of money and you're single. You're like, well, let's go somewhere fun and warm instead of somewhere not fun and not warm. So moved down to Charlotte, uh, met my wife here. Um, she wanted to get into pharmaceutical sales cause her daddy, uh, was into pharmaceutical manufacturing. So literally met a woman 
who was also Hungarian, because we're both Hungarian, Rimini's Hungarian. And in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we were both into pharmacy. She's not a pharmacist, but ended up uh, falling in love, getting married. And then 2005 or so, I got tired of the healthcare that things like CVS were delivering. Um, it just, it was the big business mentality. I went, I, I'd gone up some of the chain. I'd been in that same company for years. So it was, it was automatic for me to just continue to do that. But the, the care model was not there, the business model, you know, we've all come from those spaces sometimes. And so for me to get into independent pharmacy, it was me searching for a better way to care for our patients. And so I knew nothing about business. I knew nothing about entrepreneurship. I knew nothing about any of that besides I want to learn how to do this. Um, and I had actually met independent pharmacy in my last, uh, one of my last stores I was working in. He was down the street. And so we had lunch together one day and I was like, do you think I could ever own a pharmacy? And he literally, Jesse Pike, he literally, he's on Pioneer too. Um, he literally just like, he still remember the day he's like yeah yeah you could do that no problem your care for your patients is great and blah blah and so that was all I actually needed to like move forward going this is the way I'm going to go in my career um, so that's kind of the genesis of where and why uh, we, we ended up starting to go down the road of independent pharmacy it was it's been it's been fun and and now it's like holy holy moly it's it's been 12 years since we've been open and we've evolved organically as this great pharmacy that's diversifying and, and moving to a direction where prescription medications will no longer be uh, as emphasized and as needed to create a new business model. And that's what I'm really excited about nowadays. Yeah. So w when I came to visit you four years ago, you said that you were moving toward not dispensing your, or most of your revenue is going to come from non dispensed drugs. And that was kind of the early on functional medicine kind of tour for me. So how are, how are you doing on that? Um, well, we've, we've evolved great. Um, the vision is awesome. I'd say the, the plan is always, it's been stalled a little bit just from COVID and, you know, things of that nature. Um, the, you know, I feel really strongly, as most of you guys have known me over the years, but through the listeners involved, it's like medications don't fix the problem of chronic conditions. They mask the symptom. And so when pharmacists go to school, they're, they're learned drugs and disease states. Okay, you have this disease, you need to take this drug to treat it. Well, if you really look at the why to the why, it generally isn't the medication that's fixing the blood pressure, the diabetes, it's lifestyle medicine, it's lifestyle opportunities, it's, it's functional, it's functional medicine, and it's biochemistry, it's all these things going on. So when you visited four years ago, I was pretty, like, pretty much started that journey of wellness, and what does that mean in a community pharmacy setting? So since then, I've gotten certified in, in functional medicine as a practitioner, IFM, um, the Institute for Functional Medicine, and we've all along that process of getting certified in some modality of medicine that's pretty niche, but 
really focuses in on the patient-centered approach is how does this fit to pharmacy? How does this fit to pharmacy? How does this fit to pharmacy? Because I was I was a niche of a niche going in through these certification programs. You know, when I got certified, I was the ninth pharmacist in the entire world in this program to get certified. And so, you know, having that is great for an opportunity, but hard for the public perception of, you know, the pharmacist that doesn't like drugs, like wants to de-prescribe medication is, is a novel idea, but it's really hard to implement when people are just coming through the door. They're expecting Healthcare, good healthcare, and independent pharmacies deliver really good prescription care. Um, but we have to go, like, you know, my next talk is we have to go beyond the pill. Like, pharmacies shouldn't stop there. Like, CVS, Walgreens, Amazon, that's where they stop. They stop at the pill. And so now we have to come up with this new idea that says, well, the pill is where we start, not stop. And what are we going to do beyond that, whether it's supplements, nutritional products, um, the, you know, pharmaceutical side is TM, chronic care management, personalization with genetics, all these things that uh, is what I would call the future of pharmacy, right? So the future of pharmacy is very different than what people expect or what getting from at least what we're talking big box is the, the, the way of the old way of filling prescriptions is no longer good enough. Like life is way too complex now. Life is way unhealthy now. Um, and people get it. They get that when you talk to them, you're like, nobody wants to take chronic medications, right? They, they need to. And so when you teach them that there's things that they could do that might be able to lessen that burden, they're really interested. They just never had a pathway. And so our job as a pharmacist my my version of it and my feeling, I'm very strong feeling about this, is we have to start educating our patients on the things they can do and empowering them. And so that old way of just filling it fast and efficient is it's not going to go away, but that's not it, right? We use technology. We're leveraging packaging. We're doing these things to make things efficient. My fear for our profession is if we stay there, we're not going to survive. We all know this on this group, right? We all know that the dispensing disease uh, or the, the reimbursement disease is real, right? DIRs, this and that. And if we still function in that space fight to get paid for the drug, we're not going to survive. And I think this movement we've all tried to start together here is, is really important for everyone to know is you can't wait for everybody to figure this stuff out. It's like, I'm not waiting for the insurance model to ask my patient to pay me to sit down with me because my time is valuable and their time is valuable. I'm trading value for currency. So they're, they're, they're in a sense paying me, but they're putting value into their kit. And if we understand and we can come up with ways um, to really work with our patients in a way that's personalized people want that they don't want the big box approach pharma isn't designed by the way for personalization it's this pill for thousands of people and will test people to see if they die or not well they don't take into consideration genetics or uh, personalize what's going on in this person's life this type of that so personalization making sure things are also backed by science that's what pharmacists are for we're healthcare practitioners 
So we're not yoga instructors telling people it's go eat vegan because it's good for you. It's, hey, there's some science here because I know science. So I'm going to try to teach my patient what are the things that are going to better their outcomes that they could be doing, whether it's nutrition, nutraceuticals, that type of thing. Um, And what's awesome and what I think is the opportunity due to COVID, um, another thing that we're, we're, we're embracing now is technology in a different way. And so I feel if like for us, our doors are still closed. We're still curbing to people. And what I noticed over the last, since March, when we've done this is the commodities went up. We started filling more prescriptions because people really wanted to fill. They, their life-saving medications were in front of them. That's what they had to have. And we were really successful. We had a bump in that. So are you moving into kind of close to the Michael Muniz model, which is like more... Um functional medication and trying to help the help the patient uh, change lifestyles and eat better and um because i i it's interesting listening to michael's and hearing what you're about because i watched um i watched this uh i got caught on this clip i have not finished watching it yet but it was interesting it was uh will smith and he talked about he went on this vacation with his family and he goes you know Hey, while we were on this vacation, he called a family meeting um, and talked about, hey, on this vacation, you know, that chef was doing awesome with these biscuits. And I'd come out, I'd eat like four or five, have my Moscow mule, and then I'd take a nap. And then he came home and he stepped on the scale and he went, holy cow, I'm 225 pounds. Never in my life, not even training for Ali, did he get up to that high. And then he started taking his blood pressure medication. And it was just really interesting He because when he got back onto his, okay, I got to get back on my discipline, get back on my, my blood pressure medicine. And then he just started tanking. And then he stopped taking his blood pressure and he went, okay, I'm normal. And then he realized I know nothing about food and I've been actually eating myself into high blood pressure. And it was just, it's just a whole new interesting concept that these doctors are just okay, here's this medication and it's going to cure your blood pressure, but they're not actually trying to help the patient. Now, on the other hand, I could see you've got some patients who are like, no, 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 I'm not giving up my French fries and they eat themselves in that blood pressure and you can't make them stop eating the French fries. So how would you help change a patient that is that stubborn, that's not going to listen to the doctor that says, hey, you need to eat more of this, eat more of this, stay away from these, and maybe we can get you off the blood pressure medication. So how would you talk to a patient that was in that stubborn modus of, I'm not giving up my french fries, I'm not giving up my steak, I'm not giving up my beer, wine, or whatever of their vices are. Bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just run extra. No, interesting. Right. I, I read something like, you would have to run something like 35 miles to work off like a pound of fat if you didn't do anything else, right? Your body does all these other metabolic processes, but if you're just like pure numbers, it's like 35 miles. It's super depressing. Don't they have like a couch treadmill? Mm-hmm. You can like pedal? It's not a treadmill, it's a bike. Oh. Yeah, it, it's almost well, like a... And you can like sit at your desk and pedal and it's just this bike. And that works, right? Right, Josh, that works? You just kind of... Oh yeah, yeah. Just, just kind of sit just on the couch in and go. Eating, yeah. uh, eating cupcakes and pedaling on the bike. I remember my, my grandma had one of these like 
devices. It, was like, it looked like a torture device when I was a kid, but it was literally, I don't know if you guys remember this stuff, but like you literally, it had these like wooden rollers on it and it was like this machine and you'd put your belly on it and it would roll it. And for some <laughs> reason she thought that was like going to lose weight and stuff. So, um, well, thanks for the easy question, Marsha. I really appreciate that one. Um, <laughs> the, she rolled right into the, the, like, let's get into it. How do you get that patient that's going to do? That's a hard one. Like I feel, well, everybody has motivational, like they have motivation. So, so what motivates a person to make healthy lifestyle choices? I always say this, we all know we should eat right, exercise, have less stress, better relationships and proper nutrition, right? We all know that, but do we all do that? No. So we have to be accountable for them. So accountability um, is in super important. And so one, it's what motivates them, finding them something. My mother-in-law, her motivation, oh gosh, this is 12, uh, 12 years ago. Uh, her motivation to lose weight was to get into a dress that she could fit into that she'd look good for for her daughter, our wedding. So everybody has some motivation and a lot of people really get motivated when they've had a really either themselves or a friend or a family that they love. Something's happened to them from their health perspective. Like you in pharmacy, it's like the person that goes and has a mild heart attack. Well, they're super motivated for change because they have this idea now that, uh-oh, something's happened. So we all procrastinate, right? Yeah. Um, so I usually try to pick out what's motivational. Jamie, my wife, our business partner here, she's a health coach. So I offer, hey, why don't you go see Jamie? Let's figure out what things you're motivated for. What, what Everyone has a health goal, but do they follow through with the goal? No, 23% of people follow through with a plan that is when they don't have accountability. When you add accountability, 83% of people follow through with a plan. So the pharmacy or the pharmacist of the future is going to leverage the technology so they can see patients in a better, easier way and, and multiply their time and also being their accountability partner, or what I say, accountability buddy, is because if they had accountability, think of uh, think of your if you have a personal trainer and you pay for that service, you're 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 probably going to show up at that appointment because you now have accountability to it. Oh yeah, because if you don't, they're like, um, where are you, Bivens? The Arx Local app should pass your weight back to the pharmacist, hmm. right? So imagine you go on the scale and go, and like you get a text message that's like, um. Kind of going in the wrong direction. <laughs> right. Or even like the dietary apps where it's like you're tracking your food. If that starts talking back to the pharmacist, uh-uh, your limit's 1,700. You had 2,000 calories yesterday. I'd be in so much trouble. Well, we talked about this at lunch the other day, check-ins. So, you know, leveraging technology so we can broaden this out because part of the, the the financial issues that we have with cognitive services, it's delivered around, can I deliver that? So that one-on-one, -on -one, can I get the ROI? Can I charge $120 an hour to get my ROI on one patient interaction? Not everybody's going to do that. 
So how do we leverage that up? Uh, Jeff, the RX local apps would be a great idea to think about. It's like, hey, I'm just going to check in with you. I want you to check in with me. And maybe they got a reminder that says, all right, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But leveraging the technology is really important now because I always think like Zoom is awesome now because what better way to talk to our patients because pharmacists don't really have a lot of, you know, they don't touch patients a lot, right? We're, we're one of those healthcare practitioners that doesn't have to do manipulative things to work on the patient, like do a physical exam. So we could really use this leverage technology to, to get and, and make COVID a, a, an opportunity to get in front of more patients. And so we're actually going to open up office hours virtually. So ask the pharmacist anything kind of thing where anybody can join type in their question. And then if I use one or two hours a week for my pharmacist to answer clinical questions as a group to people, well, if 40 people were in that group, well, one hour was now given, was she was, it was useful to up to 40 hours worth of work because 40 people saw it. So making that a thing to scale up and, and really finding what motivates people. And what I love about the opportunities we have today is people are starting to move towards wellness in a way that we haven't seen before. You know, I've got an aura ring on. I don't know if anybody, you guys know what an aura ring is, but it tracks, it's a health tracker. So it tracks readiness, sleep, and activity, and it tracks heart rate variability, which is something I train in functional medicine. So now we have this larger group of people understanding these buzzwords that we hadn't, we've had such a hard time getting them up to. So now we have opportunity. People are really wanting to be the driver of their wellness. They just don't know how. And that's what our job is to really start so directing their motivators. Traffic. And I, I totally get that. Um, my dad was a smoker. I hated it. I was, I was an asthmatic child and he was a smoker and he finally quit smoking and I asked him, what was that trigger? What mainly, what finally triggered that he needed to stop smoking? And he said he ran into a friend of his from high school, also a smoker. And now he's COPD and he's carrying around an oxygen tank. And he also, in his work life, he, he's up and down a ladder all day on roofs. And he said that it was getting hard for him to go up and down the ladders and breathing. And he goes, I don't want to do that. I, so he got off, uh, he quit smoking. But then you fast forward years later, I'm working out, I'm more active, I'm doing, I was doing 5Ks. And my husband did a 5K with me. And so my parents came up to take care of the kids. And they're like, well, why are you doing a 5K? Why are you running? And I'm like, what are you <laughs> running from? I was like, because it's fun and I want to. Generally, when I run, I ask myself the same question. <laughs> what am I running Why from? am I running? Well, it was a hot chocolate <laughs> run. And so <laughs> at the end of it, we it got a hot chocolate. Fun run and you did a paint yeah. run and all kinds of yeah, yeah, I did a, a, a fun. I did a couple of fun runs. Um, but, you know, even then he was like, well, why are you running? What's, what's the point? And now today... He is in a modus of, I need to be exercising more. I need to get your mom to walk. We're going to start walking more. And I'm like. So that plays into what he says. You know, people yeah, are becoming more health conscious. They are becoming, but it's, 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 it's the motivators. It's what, what's finally motivating him. Whereas before his doctor, even my doctor is saying, she's asthmatic. You shouldn't be smoking. Yeah. 
It's it's never it's never the physical stuff. One of the interesting things I read recently was that um, willpower is a resource, and and that you only have so much of it, and and you sometimes you try to tackle things. You know, even me, hey, I'm gonna start working out, and I'm gonna diet, and I'm gonna get good sleep, and and it's too much to tackle. At some point, you're just out of that willpower piece. Do you find that a lot with patients who show up and they have too many goals and you have to say, hey, let, let's focus on one thing at a time and, and let's kind of stretch? Um, yeah, because I'm that avatar. Like I'm, I'm the guy that takes on too much. Like I put, I always say I have too many hat syndrome. And I was doing that actually to like this month is like, what are my health goals for the quarter? Like we're in a quarterly cycle. It's October last quarter. So I was kind of go, all right, what are my health goals for the quarter? I want to lose this much weight. I want to be active. This, And I started piling on all the stuff that I wanted to do. And then I stopped myself and I go, I just, just pick one. And if you can get one done, then move to the next. And that's why this sort of, that's why my wife is the health coach here because she takes, I can do the protocol, but the protocol is only good to the point of compliance, right? So how do you bite, how do you eat the elephant, right? It's in chunks. So one bite at a time. So that's the great question, Jeff, is, is yes, a lot of people get confused. That's why they need that accountability piece also teaches them that like if, if every pharmacist could learn to be more like a health coach and I wish they would teach this in pharmacy school, like you're going to go through health coaching training. So we can teach you how to be the health coach because we say that a lot in pharmacy. We say you're acting like a health coach, but a lot of us don't really know what that means. And what you just said is exactly what it is. Let's take what you can do today. Let's break this thing down into simple, actionable steps because it's, you know, we all want to go to the gym for 30 minutes a day and exercise and sweat. But what's the first step to going to the gym? Committing to putting on your shoes every day. So if you put on your shoes, then you're more likely to go to the gym. But if so, if your commitment is to not go to the gym, your commitment is to put on the shoes. Guess what? You're more apt to do that. And so that's that coaching mentality that we take with patients. And not everybody's ready. Not everybody wants to do this. That's why they call it the sad standard American diet. It's standard. Um, so it's we want to take people that that also share our values. And one of our values is you want to commit to doing what you're supposed to do. We want you engaged and involved. We want you to put health in the forefront of your lifestyle. And if you value that and we value that, then we're going to work well together. Because we, as pharmacists, we're so used to being generic in the way that we treat, hey, anybody coming in the door, that's our patient, right? The person with the prescription is our patient. And when you are moving towards healthcare, it's different. We don't take on everybody. We want to have a certain criteria met. Going back to your podcast, you started a little over a year ago. You talk a lot about CBD. What benefits have you seen from CBD? I know it's a CBD is a pretty conversa uh, controversial uh, topic because some pharmacists believe in it, some don't, and then you have some areas it's illegal and. Um, companies who don't want to back you or be in business with you because you're a CBD pharmacist. Yeah, we struggle a lot so with it uh, on the uh, the credit card side. Mm -hmm. So what what strengths have you seen 
with patients in CBD and what have been some of your struggles? Sure. Those are great questions too. And yes, we've had our struggles. We've had to course correct business-wise just to sell it too. So this the, the benefits are because when you dig into the science, because that's what we are, we're scientists, you know, we have to dig into like mechanistically what cannabinoids do in the body and they're, it's plant-based medicine is really what it is. Um, we've known that for years and years. So when you dig down to the why, it's really been awesome for me and as practice to, you know, stress, anxiety, depression, uh, neuropathic pain, um, understanding that there's a little bit of drug interactions in there. And, and I'm really big on making sure wellness is guided by a medical professional. And that's what I love to do. So the patients that come to me because they trust us as pharmacists, I can now trust them with wellness. So that's when the stuff we've done winners with is people try stuff and you're like, how would you like to try some plant-based things that could probably have not a lot of side effects at all and really help you in one or two ways. And so I get twofers and threefers in the patients and that's what really buys them in. And I start that with a consult, by the way. A very small, low-brow, 25-minute consult costs them 25 bucks, and then we get them on their way rather than selling another product. So it's not the on, product. On the CBD service. side, you know, when you look at the science, a lot of the, the early results were shown where people were taking like six to eight grams of CBD. You know, most of the supplements now are in like 50 micrograms. Um, have you seen any any reasonable like outside of placebo effect that CBD actually works for those types of things in a in a scientific way? Yes, um, I we we sell a brand here that's uh, liposomal, which is you five to ten times more bioavailable or absorbable. So I really get a really good product with that. Um, I always tell people look at the science. Look at what we see in practice and then what makes sense. So you blend those together with the science, but outcomes are outcomes. I care less if it's a placebo effect, by the way. If the effect is the same, I actually market the placebo effect because that's what the therapeutic relationship's about. What if I gave them that bottle, but I gave them hope? And that bottle was a placebo and they got better. I did a job. I did a job as a healthcare practitioner. So maybe it is somewhat placebo, but if they feel it's going to work, and guess what? If it works, does it matter, right? <laughs> so you talked about um, cons counseling your patients. And uh, I heard you also bring up Zoom. So how is – apparently COVID has affected everybody um, and their businesses. So Talk to us about how COVID has affected in, uh, your business and what you've done around it to continue patient care. Well, and that that's our quarterly focus for this quarter is because we identified the issues we had with COVID. We were we also did the same thing. We were knee-jerk reaction, right? We we closed our doors and our focus was how do we deliver prescriptions to our patients? Like we went back to the old thing. And now it's now that things are more chronic and the chronicity of COVID is here, we got to get out of that acute phase. And now we got to get back into wellness and health. And for us, nutritional sales went down 50% and our clinical services, our consults were non-existent. We went to text and, and drive-through pickup type stuff. So our goal is to embrace Zoom in a way that, you know, Zoom's a verb now. People it's easy for them to do. So why can't we 
we've taken time and we've taken geography out of the barriers. So now we can open up ourselves in a way that we hadn't before, which is making it really exciting. So that's our real big goal for the quarter is to uh, embrace virtual, embrace digital, and get a wider audience up. And we're, we're going to do that with some office hours. I think that's going to be really fun and impactful for our people. Do you think any of the the drop in the nutritional piece was due to people in you know pandemic where they've lost their jobs or they suddenly have a, a sharp decrease in income and now they're more likely to eat the 99 cent chicken nuggets than go to Whole Foods and buy organic chicken breast? Yeah, I think... I'm, see, for us, we sold a lot of supplements here. So a lot of pharmacies, they increased their supplements in OTCs because they, had, they didn't have anything. So the, my answer is people went directly to what's essential for them. Look at toilet paper. <laughs> it, it was gone, right? Like we, we were, what's essential? You got to wipe your butt, right? Um, so There's I our think people word. went directly to prescriptions right? That was essential. Like my life-saving medications are first. And then we went to immune support. People really wanted immune support. So they really wanted to do what was best for them. So those things went out of stock. But all the other stuff that was just like, what, what in their minds was, what won't kill me? I don't need right now. And part of it is economics. Like if they didn't have a job, like back in 2008, same thing happened. Like what did people need the most is medications. They, they focused on if I need, like you said, if it's 99 cent chicken nuggets, at least I got food in me today. You know, that mentality is. So how, what do you prioritize and what do you value is really important because most people, if they value it high enough, they'll find a way to do it. So wait a minute. And uh, so for us, it's, it's definitely moving in that direction. It's getting more value up. So chicken nuggets aren't organic? No, <laughs> I don't even think they're chicken. No, it's um, great. There's this there's this really great YouTube video, and I think it's Gordon Ramsay, and he's trying to convince children that they don't want to eat chicken nuggets, and so he shows them how they're made, and it's horrific, right? It's just like paste of all this junk. He finishes making cardboard. them, and then he asks all the kids if they still want chicken nuggets, and without fail, every single one of them wanted chicken nuggets. <laughs> like they're delicious. I don't like, I don't care what's in them. That's my kids. At least I can feed them like the organic gluten-free ones and they're still good with that, you know. Yeah. So you you mentioned like people value what they're or will pay for what they value. It also kind of exposes this gap in our healthcare system of we'll fix things that are horribly wrong now but not invest in things that keep us alive longer like diet and exercise. Um so how do you expand a, a product like what you've built with functional medicine to people who live in lower income communities or live in food deserts and places like that where they don't necessarily have access to those types of resources? You guys are hitting me with some really easy questions today, huh? <laughs> oh, did somebody tell you this is going to no, be easy? We don't, no, we, we I, don't I do easy questions. here. I, I, I'm a high D, so I love challenges. Um, no, it, those are good questions. And so for me, well, one question is how do you leverage your time? Because that's how you make it work. You know, so if you can do these things in group visit models or in our case, like virtual seminars, you're, you, you can make the, the big thing and functional now is to get it to the masses is to do it through group visits. And uh, be honest is people learn from their peers just as learn more from 
as much from their peers as they do from professionals. So these group visit models that we can create for our patients, you know, in these low income areas, there might not be virtual because they may not be able to be virtual. So eventually we're hoping we can actually take off a mask someday soon and come out and be into the community again. Because what's going to happen when COVID comes away is people are going to thrive and be more towards personal connection because they've lost it for so long. So this is a great opportunity for us to get in the communities. I debunk that, uh, you know, eating clean or eating healthy is expensive all the time. I post it on my Facebook. Like I can go to the farmer's market and get two weeks worth of food for my family and it's less than four bucks per person per day. So that's that's something we can dispel. A lot of this is dispel the myth kind of thing. Mark's parents just grow it and then they bring it to my house. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the reality is there's a lot of places in this country where you can't just go down the road to the food or the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. So are yeah. you doing these Zoom meetings? Um, that's that's what we're going to be working on this quarter is like how to develop the whole process. Okay. So y'all haven't started them yet? Nope. Okay. So I was just curious how those go. You, you heard that, that you saw that Spanish uh, politician who was uh, still on Zoom while he started making out with his girlfriend. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, it was on like public, like transmitted to all of Spain. And uh, oh wow, yeah. he resigned. Yeah, you, well, wow. I so bet. I imagine everybody doing Zoom today has some kind of story, as something going on, or somebody's kid, or. Well, that's what you got to be careful about too. Is um, when you open up your space to things like social media and Zoom, you're just you are exposing yourself. So you have to be not careful, but be genuine and authentic, and in the way that you would normally want to do business. So that's what I try to keep my litmus test to. Yeah. My favorite thing with Zoom is getting to see how people live. You know, I guess that's the the weird voyeur in you where you like, you see somebody pop up and you're like, oh, their color scheme on their wall is really cool. Or somebody needs to clean, you know, like you get to see a lot of stuff. And interestingly, I bet a lot of things, if you could get more of your patients in the functional space to also be on video, you get to see into their lives where you would never get to see in when they come into the pharmacy. I bet seeing yeah. after this pandemic's over, there's going to be like a YouTube of like a mashup of all the interesting Zoom meetings. Like my daughter said that in her Spanish class, he does this game with them. And his kids are in the background going, we want to play, we want to play, we want to play. And uh, she's also, my. sometimes during the class, her cat walks across the camera and the teacher stops and just goes, oh, so I'm just waiting to see all the different kind of things like that that gets mashed up into a YouTube video. He had an interesting little take there. And one of the things that I thought early on, after COVID, we're going to be less personal, right? So there goes the handshake. We're not going to handshake anymore. Or there goes the hugs and stuff like that. But just you had a different angle. You said, hey, this one's over. We've missed that so much that... There's going to be more of that. And that's an interesting take that says, you take something away, you, you want to make somebody love food, don't feed them for a day, right? And, and so it's actually possible that the opposite, that's true, that after this over, we're going to be more of a touchy, more of a handshake, more of a huggy type of uh, people than we were before because we didn't realize what we weren't getting. Josh, Maybe. like, I'm still not hugging you. I, I, I will refrain from the, the excessive hugging. 
I think I'm adopting I think Madison's it, I think Air both High and Five. For sure. The Air High Five. And that's interesting. <laughs> It'd be interesting to sit back a year or so from now and look at how society has changed. Did it? Did everybody adopt the, the Air High Five? Or, or did we get to more? Do we socialize more? Do we spend more time together? Does the world go to Zoom? Also, when does Zoom lose their, um, their copyright? Because it used to be webinar, WebEx, mm -hmm. and now it's just jump on Zoom, even if you're not. And we're, in fact, not using Zoom right now either. Do you have any employees working from home? Yeah. Oh, we had to mobilize quick. Um, another, another, another plus for COVID is how fast can you mobilize technology? Like almost all of our employees have the accessibility to remote in and work from home now. So that's the, well, my, the, and the business model, like how do you change pharmacy? So now that people are used to virtual, I could have a clinical pharmacist work from home. They don't have to be here now, right? It's interesting. I, I saw a deal on, uh, it was on Slashdot, and then it was really a, a, an engagement that was going on on Twitter. A guy who was telling about a friend of he has who was working for Google and Facebook at the same time. So he was working remotely. He applied for, for Facebook, got the job, and kept his job at Google. And, and it was it was amazing, though, to, to listen to what some of the people were saying and the way people think these days. There were, some people were trying to say, well, that's okay, you know, as long as he can get his job done at both of them and as long as there's not a conflict of interest. Uh, and, well, during COVID, it's okay because nobody has enough money. And it's really weird the way people were justifying what basically is theft, you know, basically – working for two companies. Uh, it's kind of like the guy, there was a guy not too long ago that got caught outsourcing his job to China. He was a, he was a network yeah. guy and he paid to outsource his job. And, um, and I think he got caught because of somewhere the IP addresses or something was coming from. Well, he but, did it for like 10 years, right? It <laughs> yeah, was, no, it was crazy. Um, it, it's amazing what people will, will do and, and justify to themselves what's okay. Well, it's a good point that we raised too here is, well, we never really thought about like when you send all these folks home, are they really working? Like, are they what? What do you? How do you hold them accountable to the job they need to do? Because you're always kind of they're kind of underneath your shoulder when they're here, and you know that's where I think culture and you know the having a solid culture in your company certainly helps. Yeah. How do you how do you have trust? You know, how do you trust and verify? It's all kinds of weird stuff because there's all this discussion about, hey, this is going to stick and more people are going to work from home. And, and How do you trust that in their coffee cup? It's not wine. <laughs> and more of that's going on. Maybe some of us would be better if there was wine in our coffee cup. But um, a, lot, a lot of interesting things we're going to struggle with as a, as a country is trying to figure out what's, what's right. And, and uh, I think somebody got sued uh, in Sweden. Some company got sued overseas for spying on their employees based on violating the data protection laws or whatever were there. And, um, you know, they weren't spying on their employees because obviously this, uh, Google should be spying on their employee, right? And uh, I find it hard to believe that Google and Facebook aren't spying on their employees. I know. Yeah, I don't know. How long did he get away with that? That'd be interesting. No, I, I think that's still going on. And, and well, so, like programming is a mystery. You don't know if something's going to take eight hours or 80 hours. It, it's... Um, and even if you're somebody who does it a lot, you there's a, as much as a 2025 difference in productivity among among different programmers based on a Microsoft study. So some of it would be easier if you had um, if you're in a business that had a lot of meetings and stuff like that. I guess that would be obvious. But well, I I, I agree with you, Jeff. I really think uh, 
we're in this huge social experiment right now. Like we don't like what, what stuff's going to stick, what isn't going to stick. How is this imprinting our, our, our brains for the long haul? How are my kids going to be coming out of this? You know, there's, there's, there's a whole, that's why there's, it's fear, right? Fear and unknown is, is really what drives certain behaviors. So it's, it's been, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be, you know, we gotta, we gotta do our best to stay open and do what we can, but it's going to be fun. Do y'all see any uh, movement into Charlotte? I know one of the things you're seeing a big movement out of the, the big city. Uh, I, I talked to Josh, had a friend who he was telling me about who well, was in Broadway and moved back to Texas because Broadway's not coming back anytime soon. And I was talking to a guy the other day on the phone who loved New York. He, he had moved to Boston and uh, he had loved New York for years, but he said, I stayed in New York because of my friends and because of the food and my friends are all gone and the food's gone and there's no reason to pay that big cost anymore. So do you see a lot of movement? Are you picking up new patients that have moved from New York and we, well, since we're like, we're kind of in a Metro. Um, and so we're, we're growing really fast here, but that growth, actually it surprises me that they're still building these huge apartment complexes here. But on the flip side, I'm, I'm noticing a lot of people moving out of the Metro area and moving more out in the suburbs because they can work from home. They just not, there's more of them to, they can do that. So it's, I think I'm seeing a little bit of both because we, we, we're still driving in innovation and people are coming in and a lot of younger people are coming into Charlotte. Um, but I, I also have friends that are moving out of the country because they just, there's nothing here for them right now. Well, well, one of the things that a word that are one of the things I've said that might benefit independent pharmacy long-term is the re is the ruralification of America as more people can work from home and they're, they're not moving into town where they can work from home. They're moving out of town. They're moving cheaper. Uh, things like uh, self-driving cars, right? If my car can drive me into an hour to work and I can work there, I'm going to live further away. Uh, things like that. So interesting to see how that turns out. So I want to rewind back to your podcast that you started a little over a year ago. So um, where it what is your next topic? I mean, where are you getting your inspiration from outside of your daily job? And this is what you do. So, and why have we not been invited? I know. Ooh, well, I guess that's, that's actually, that's um, the, uh, the, uh, self invite. So my, my next, sorry, did I say that loud? My, <laughs> this is my, well, now that I've been invited, I have to invite you guys. No. Um, so reinvite, reinvigorating the podcast is, you know, it was it was usually just like me talking about a topic and and doing that type of thing. And we're moving towards video for that now. So most people are in, are engaging information with video. So the podcast is actually going to be turned towards building a wellness community. So bringing subject matter experts in with me to talk about like good sleep health and having someone else in the community that's working on this particular topic that I have and moving more towards this subject matter expert and coming in and doing that. Do, do I have to be six and cute? Or is no. it? <laughs> but it generally but helps those, though. Those yeah, it generally lot, helps. Those get a lot of views, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best views I got on a video was my four-year-old daughter helping me make hand sanitizer. Oh, how fun. Huh. Well, that's what Josh could bring in his daughter. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That'd be wild. You got a toddler. If I brought in my three-year-old, this place would look horrible. (laughs) So um, did your hand sanitizer smell like tequila? 
No, it smelled like lavender because I put essential oils in it to calm the nervous system down. I want to place an order. Yeah, where's your... I'm so tired of the tequila smelling hand sanitizer. Maybe that's a Texas thing because of where we're located. Where we are. Maybe a lot of tequila coming in from Mexico. Well, I found one that it doesn't... It smells more like hand sanitizer, but it's from like a gin distillery. So it's So you can literally get a bottle of essential oils and just drop three to five drops oh in yeah that I, I did that, that. we tried that and then it smelled it like lavender tequila, it tequila. Like <laughs> <alcohol. Yeah>. which <laughs> hey, admittedly hey, not no, terrible it's not horrible but it's like what what we're still at work <laughs> yeah they all the well, all the functional I'll alcoholics are really happy now for, just... for all the compounders out here is the FDA has got like over 75 hand sanitizers that are not good. Like they've been recalled and not healthy. So it's a, it's like things that you can blog or put on your Facebook feed is like, hey, we, we can make this safe and don't go out and buy that stuff. Trust your pharmacist to make it and do it. So you've sold a lot of hand sanitizer? No, I, we just made it and gave it out just as, as something we could do for the community. That was a terrible business decision, but good job for being a good well, human. Maybe. I mean, yeah, it's no, goodwill. It, yeah. It's a good promotional. Good you karma. Put, put your name all over it. And yeah, there there yeah. was a there's a um a little marketing. A little there. whiskey distillery in my city, and they did a deal where they would give all their hand sanitizer away to any of the first responders. So I'm sure they attracted a few number of people. When and if they open back up, they'll because they found that first responders drink predominantly more than the normal population because of stress. I have, no. I have a friend who's especially a firefighter, now, and they now. definitely do. Especially now. That's right. So that was a great business decision. Yeah. So you should have been giving it to first responders. Yeah, as far as alcohol being turned, and I'm like liquor being turned into hand sanitizer, when are we going to come out with like a Pinot Grigio scent or a cab scent? That would be more enjoyable than tequila. Josh, can you swing that? Alcohol content's not high enough to make it hand sanitizer. That's why. You'd have to distill it, I guess, or Yeah, so now you're wanting more you're wanting stronger wine and then we can make it into yes. hand sanitizer. Okay, perfect. Just want to be clear. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like a win-win for humanity. <laughs> so, speaking of uh win-wins and fun and drinking, um what do you do when you're not being a pharmacist or a functional medicine practitioner? Uh, Right now, um, being a dad, like, is really important to me and finding that balance. Uh, So I work from home probably two to three days a week now because I'm working a lot on it, not in it. I have a lot of practitioners here that are doing the pharmacy stuff. So it's been nice to um, just be home more and just be able to, to you know, we don't go on vacations like this type. It's like getting more down to that roots of what we're doing. So, and I've, I've got on my bike again. I love riding my bike. So, and then bicycle, not, not motorcycle. So, um, those are the things that I've been, I'm trying to keep things simple, right? I think that's, what's keeping us sane right now is, you know, getting back to that, what, what's essential and what makes us, what makes us really happy. Um, because we don't need to we've all had to go down to essentialism. So for me, being an awesome dad, being present in their lives is super important to me because they're small enough. Um, so that's what's been my shift lately. Kind of, I'm thinking I want to sing Luke and Bach, Texas, right? Get back to the basics. Yeah. No. 
No. It's a Texas thing. It's a, so is it a road bike or a street bike? I mean, is it a street bike or a mountain bike? Yeah, I got. I do both, but I've been I've been actually trying to get more involved in bedding back into nature, but it's just not easy to go f- anywhere out and then back with the kids because they're so you know they got a lot going on, and so mostly just getting out of my backyard, going going down the road, finding 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 roads that cars aren't on is really my focus because Charlotte's not a really good place to ride your bike anymore. Yep, kind of get out of town. So uh, we're running out of time. Any last comments or so before we wrap it up? Uh, I think the, the thing I'd want pharmacy owners and pharmacies to, to really start understanding is is really pushing. We, we've we've all had the COVID excuse, like the to not eat right, to to not show up in our best, or like work from home in our pajamas. Like we're we're all in this space now where. We, if chronic stress is going to get us, if we don't start working towards something in more positive light, we've got through the acute phase of COVID and this chronic phase of COVID or chronic stress, we really start to, we need to pay attention to that. And if, if we can do that, we'll, we'll come out of this on the right side um, because we've all had to develop these habits. Habits take about 90 days to take hold. So let's create new health habits for ourselves and then for our patients. So talking about chronic stress, how many drinks a day is actually okay? <laughs> I'm still going with a red wine. I, I'm still going with the two for get men. Well, no, it's what? One glass of red is 30 minutes cardio? Women, women, women have one. Men have two. Guys can have two, but now they said guys can have one now. So, ah. But that's still one a day. Can you do seven at a time? <laughs> no, it doesn't work. <laughs> doesn't work that. You, you can't like... Stockpile, stockpile it. Okay, so so how long can you exceed that and still be okay? (laughs) All right, well, uh, it was fun. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to spend with us, and uh, we appreciate you and all you do for for the world. And looking forward to seeing your seeing your podcast. I know, but he's doing he's the world too. He's changing diet and he's fixing Charlotte. We look forward to being on your podcast soon and turn it around. And that way, you got to ask us questions. You get to interview us. And yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll use the uh, leveraging technology. That would be really a fun one. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. When he says levering, leveraging technology, he means asking for features. Any, any, <laughs> any last comments? Excited to see Dilworth Pharmacy when I can get back out and travel. Yeah, no, looking forward to seeing you again in person one day, hopefully. And uh, yeah, yeah. Miss, miss, miss being in the same aura as other people. It's been, that's been fun. So well, looking forward to it, guys. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to this Catalyst podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, and or following us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more amazing pharmacy people like you. Follow PioneerX on your preferred social media platform for the latest up-to-date pharmacy news and content.